0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Last year, following Easter, I began a series through the book of Acts, and I made my, my way up to Acts chapter 11 and then after easter this year i started right back up with acts chapter 12 and so i i hope you understand you're getting a a reused sermon but uh it's new to you and uh it also gives me the opportunity to dig back into this text again uh but just to give you get you caught up if you read through the book of acts which uh you know we already had a reading from acts even this morning you'll find that up to this point in Mark, or in luke's narrative of the early church you see that everything is taking place in Jerusalem. And the church is growing and by leaps and bounds in Jerusalem, but when, perse- but, but when the church grows so much, then it faces persecution from Saul and from others who were, were, were trying to crush this movement. We read about how the apostles were brought before uh, the, the Sanhedrin even this morning, questioning them by whose authority they were preaching the name of Christ and healing people in the temple. So this persecution caused the church to scatter and to go out into the world. And the gospel is being proclaimed among the Gentiles, and they receive the gospel with joy and be received within the church. But what we see throughout this narrative is that within this story, we begin to understand that there is a, a, there's a battle that's raging between two different kingdoms. You have the picture of the kingdom of God, And you have the the nations of men, the kingdoms of men that rise up against God's kingdom. And there's conflict between the two. What I love about going through the book of Acts is, unlike some of the other epistles or even the gospels, is that rather than hearing a direct teaching on this is the truth and this is how we are to live in that truth, the book of Acts teaches us doctrine through narrative. People believing in the truth live out the truth in this way. And so as we go through this and we see the, the conflict between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, we see the doctrine being lived out by the people of faith in this story. So let us come back and kind of walk through this text very quickly, and we can see how the people are following after God and, 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 and living out their, their doctrine as they respond to the conflict they face. We first read here in Acts chapter 12 of Herod, who raged against the church and laid violent hands upon its leaders. It's good to understand who this Herod was. This Herod was the grandson of Herod the Great, who we read about at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This Herod was the nephew of Herod Antipas, who put John the Baptist to death and heard Jesus' testimony, or interviewed Jesus before his crucifixion. This was Herod Agrippa I. He was raised in Rome, grew up as a childhood friend of Claudius and Caligula, who both eventually rose to power as an emperor over Rome, and as a a favor to their friend, they put Herod Agrippa in power over Judea. And this Herod, because his his authority and his, his power came from his friendships, he knew he had to keep friends in order to maintain power. And you see him doing that throughout this passage. The church was receiving into their fellowship Gentiles without requiring them to become Jews. And this caused great unrest among the leaders of the temple. Because the temple, they thought, was supposed to be the place where people came to to have fellowship with God and to hear his word. And the Christians were offering access and truth and peace and reconciliation. Things that the temple thought they had a a power hold on. And so the, the leaders of the temple were upset, causing the people to be upset. And when the people are upset, then they make the ruler upset. And they cause all sorts of unrest, and Herod would do anything to keep peace, to gain power. So he sought to please the people. So therefore, he laid violent hands upon James, upon the leaders of the church. We read of James's death. This is James, the first apostle to be martyred. James, the brother of John. John and James, the, the sons of Zebedee, who with Peter, were the, the three men who made up that inner circle who was always there with Jesus. We're not told really anything about the work of James in the book of Acts, other than he was accounted among the apostles, devoted to prayer, and was likely at work in the temple preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was among those apostles who were arrested and beaten. There is another James that's mentioned here. We read that in James chapter in Acts 12:17 when Peter is released, he says, "Now go tell all these things to James and to the brothers. This is another James. James was as it is now a very common name, and the James in verse 17 is most likely the brother of Jesus, James the lesser, who would eventually become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and would author the letter of James in the New Testament. But the James that we read of here at the beginning of Acts 12 is the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He has put to death with the sword. His death pleased the people of Jerusalem to no end. So, knowing what made the people happy, he decided to do it again. And he arrested Peter, putting him in prison, holding him until after the Passover so that he could put him on display, and again, please the people. It's interesting here, Peter had a reputation about being kind of a slippery guy because he had been arrested before and then just walked right out of prison. And so what does Herod do now? He takes Peter, he puts him in a cell with a group of soldiers to watch him. The, The word that's used here is a quaternion, which is a body of four soldiers. So there were 16 guards four guards for the four watches of the night. They had Peter in chains between two guards and behind gates which were guarded. They just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to walk out again. It caused them great embarrassment. So here is Herod raging against the church, wanting to crush it in order to please the people and keep his power. How? How? does the church respond? When facing persecution and conflict, what could they do? The church seemed powerless to do anything in this situation. They had no political voice. They had no influence among the religious leaders. Those who followed Christ often suffered financial loss. In contrast to the power of Herod and the temple leaders, the church was a feeble, small-movement that could easily be crushed. So, what did they do? Well, Luke tells us here in Acts twelve, there in in uh, in, in uh, excuse me, in verse four and five, that when they when they arrested Peter, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. This word for earnest just describes the, the, the strain, the struggle that they faced in prayer. This earnest means to stretch or to strain. They were making prayer. This word is also an imperfect verb, which means that it was active and ongoing. They were straining in their prayers before God. It wasn't just a, hey, we're going to throw up a quick prayer and and hopefully that God will hear it. Instead, they came together and in one voice, they were making their pleads before God that God would hear them and intercede. They were praying as a church. They could have and certainly must have been praying at home and alone. But the value of them coming together was that they were united in prayer and their hearts and minds were one as they came and made their intercession before God. Beloved, I think this is often an overlooked blessing that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ Jesus' death and resurrection secured not only the salvation of sinners, but through his being raised from the dead, we now have access to God through a living Savior who intercedes praise for us. So when we pray to God, we're trusting in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are actually coming to the living King of kings, the Lord of lords. All earthly powers, all dominions and authorities are being put under his feet, are being brought captive to his word. We have this beautiful gift of, being, of having an audience before the throne of grace. And that's what the people did when they faced tremendous persecution and overwhelming odds. They prayed. Herod raged, flexing his power, beheading James and planning to kill Peter. The followers of Christ appealed not to worldly powers. They didn't demand their rights. Instead, they went to the source of all authority. They turned to God in prayer. They knew that it was the throne of heaven that was ultimately in control. They did not appeal to Herod's court. They went to the highest court and left it with God. And God answered in mysterious and wondrous ways. Now, surely they must have prayed for James, but James was was martyred. And indeed, this fulfilled what Jesus said to James and John in Mark 10.35. If you read through that story in the gospel, here they, Jesus has just said that the Son of Man must be betrayed and put to death and on the third day rise again. And James and John sneak up to him and say, Hey, Jesus, when you get to your throne, will you let us sit at your right and left hand? Jesus says, You don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I will drink? And James and John said, Yes, we can. Here in Acts 12, James drinks that cup. He is put to death as his Savior was. For the name of Jesus Christ, he was martyred. Here God has fulfilled this prophecy. James is put to death for the sake of the gospel, but Peter is released for the sake of the gospel. And there's some awesome things to notice about this release. Peter has great peace while he's sitting in prison. He's chained uncomfortably, mind you, between two guards. who probably are not treating him very nicely, but he still falls asleep. He's bound in chains in the watch of the night. He's sleeping on the stone floor. He's granted peace in the midst of a terrifying situation. He knows that the blade awaits him. And yet he sleeps, and he sleeps so well that when the angel comes and light fills the cell, he still has to strike Peter to wake him. Anybody with kids ever have to get down and shake the kids to wake them up in the morning? You turn on the lights, they're still sound asleep. You, have, you say their name, they're still sleeping. You have to physically jar them to get them up. That's what the angel is doing. The angel comes. He strikes Peter, tells him to get up and get dressed, reminds him to put his shoes on, to wrap his coat around him. And then the chains fall off and the doors open and they walk out of prison. Peter willingly follows, not saying a word, thinking it's all a vision, a dream. What a glorious dream it would be. But when the angel left him, he was standing outside the prison, and suddenly he knew that it was the Lord who had delivered him. So he goes to where the disciples are gathered. They're praying, and Rhoda, the servant, comes and answers the door, but she won't let him in. Instead, she runs back and says, hey, Peter's at the gate. And they said, no, 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 he can't be. He's in prison. That's what we're praying about. They can't accept that Peter would be at the door. It must be his ghost, they thought. Perhaps he's already dead. But indeed, he was there. They let him in. They had fellowship. They prayed. They rejoiced. And then Peter went his way. There was a small, actually not a small, a great victory over the raging kingdom of man. And yet the victory was still to come. For Herod would face his demise. We read this at the very end of Acts 12, Herod making his great speech and the people praising him. This event is actually recorded by the Roman historian Josephus, recorded in great detail. Herod, we read, killed the guards who are watching over Peter. Their lives were forfeit for losing their prisoner, so he had them put to death. Still, this would have been a great embarrassment for Herod, so he retreated to Caesarea. And while there... He had to deal with some political problems, Tyre and Sidon. These were cities that were on the coastline of the Mediterranean, and they were dependent upon Galilee for their food and protection. Somehow, some way, they had offended Herod. So to get back in his good graces, they held a party for him. They had games to honor Caesar on Herod's behalf. During the games... Herod came out dressed in his fine robes and gave an eloquent speech. Josephus tells us that the robes that he was wearing were woven with silver so that when he moved and the sun hit him, it shone like glory. And as he spoke, we're not told what he said, but the people flattered him. He has the voice of a God, not the voice of man. And Herod delighted in their praise. He received this honor and so God struck him down because he robbed the glory of God. It's amazing is the same word is used here for Herod being struck down as when the angel struck Peter. Luke tells us that he was judged because he did not give glory to God. He violated the first commandment to have no other gods before the one true God and the worms ate him from the inside. Josephus said that he suffered an agony for five days before he died. But God struck him down. And God ended the, the conquest of the kingdom of Herod, but God raised up the victory of His Word. We're told that the Word of God increased and multiplied. This is a simple but powerful contrast of powers. The intent of Herod was to crush the name of Christ once and for all. But the more he persecuted the church, the more the word of God spread and multiplied. The number of those who were converted through the word of God and embraced and professed the gospel increased, even multiplied exponentially, and the world sought to tear down the church. It grew by God's grace we even read in Acts 13.1 of the people who were part of the the church there in Antioch. There was even one named Manian who was a lifelong friend that he was he was raised in the house, of Herod the Tetrarch. God would bring victory even over the house of Herod through the mighty working of the gospel. So he said at the very beginning, there is doctrine that is taught through the narrative of the book of Acts. There are just a few things that I think we can pull out of this text that I want us to apply to our hearts and minds today. First is this, friends, remember that God is faithful and that as God's faithful people follow after God, they will face persecution in this world. We will face opposition as we stand for the kingdom of God. It may be outward forces, political powers, social and cultural movements that would silence the voice of the church. They would want us to transform our message so that we would stand for something, anything other than the transformative and uh, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be that we face spiritual struggles and temptations in our own lives as we try to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ and become more like Him. We are told throughout the Scriptures that in this world, we will have trouble. But we are also told that Christ has overcome this world. The church, friends, is called to suffer for the sake of Christ. We will face persecution in this world. But the second thing we must remember is that when we face persecution, the church must come together in prayer. I know sometimes Christians today feel the same way about situations they faced back then. We look at things like cancer in the loved ones, unemployment, or inability to provide for our families with a good job, or trying to turn a straying son or daughter back to the Lord, seeking to reverse the the, the evils of our land, like abortion and murder, and the open immorality that we see broadcast and all of our, our, our entertainment and in our music and, and our culture. We can think that we're so small and standing against such a great force that we are powerless. And often we as a church resort to worldly means, politics and, and protests and all of these worldly powers. And then we wonder why the church ends up looking like the rest of the world. But the church, my friends, is called to pray. Sometimes we treat prayer like a last resort, but prayer is our first and greatest gift. Prayer draws us back to God, seeking His strength, His wisdom, His wonder-working power, His grace for our every need. Friends, the church must pray. And then we will remember as we face this persecution and as we pray we must also remember that God's word will bear fruit. God will cause the gospel to increase. In Isaiah 55:11 God says, "My word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty; it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." Beloved, the word of God is not powerless; it is not useless; it is effective. We need to be taught, and it teaches us about God and ourselves in the way of salvation. We need to be rebuked, and it rebukes us in our sin and unrighteousness. We need to be corrected, and the Word of God corrects us and shows us the way that we should go in order to know God's blessing We need to be trained in righteousness and it trains us through daily application of its teaching. The Word of God is completely effective for all that God intended and it will restore and renew and vitalize His church. We simply need to trust the Word of God to increase and multiply today. Hebrews 4 says the Word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God and the Word of God alone gets us, gets through us as no human words can. If we want to see transformation in our own lives and in our community, trust the Word. The old hymn says, let good and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org